I'm looking at the different statements that Jesus made about himself, the I am statements that Jesus made about himself. And uh, we started last week just reflecting on Easter. And I, if you just to recap for those of you that weren't here, I looked at uh, Exodus 3.14, where God reveals himself to his people, the nation Israel, by this phrase, I am who I am. And the word that the Israelites knew God by, by was Yahweh, I am who I am. And that's how God chose to reveal his character and his identity and himself to his people. And uh, that's how the, old, the believers in the Old Testament knew him. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, I am who I am. And so in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8 verse 58, Jesus picks up on that phrase and he says this, he says to those that are following him, he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, Jesus was making a direct claim to be God. He was saying before Abraham was, before Isaac was, before Jacob was, I am who I am. And he made a bold declaration in that statement that he was God. And that's what offended the Jewish people so deeply that anyone would claim to be God. That was the seed that led him to the cross. And I said to you last week that Jesus wasn't an exceptional man. Jesus was not a good-looking man. Uh, if he walked into this room, I said last week, none of the ladies would look twice at him because he was, the, the book of Isaiah says, there was nothing about Jesus that would cause us to want him in any way. He was just an ordinary bloke like you and me. I said also, and I can say this because I'm from Watford, uh, the Galileans in Palestine spoke with a funny accent. Even in Palestine, the Galileans were like the, the guys with the funny accent from way out yonder. The kind, of, the kind of people that would come from Watford, where I come from, that speak with a funny accent. The East End accent of London. Jesus would have been that kind of guy. He wouldn't have spoken with a BBC perfect accent. He wouldn't have gone to Cambridge. He wouldn't have gone to Oxford. He was just a plain, ordinary Watford kind of guy. And he gets up and he says, I am God. <laughs> and now you can understand why people were so offended by him. And we looked at three things last week. Just to recap, John 8, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And we had to look at what that means, that there's a hunger in all of us that's not physical, it's a spiritual hunger, it's a desire for uh, satisfaction, fulfillment, significance, destiny, and purpose. And Jesus says, I am that bread that satisfies your desire for all of those things. I am the bread of life. And I encouraged you, I said, we need to, as believers, be feasting on Jesus day by day. And if you looked at, we looked at that portion, and he said, in fact, unless you eat my flesh, and, it is, and, and, and unless you drink my blood, you can have no life in you. Remember? And he was saying by that, that you need to feast on me. He was not speaking about the communion that we celebrate, because it hadn't yet been instituted. He was talking about a spiritual experience and saying, you need to feast on me day by day. I am the living uh, water, I am the, the living water, I am the bread of life, feast on me. And so our relationship as Christians is a daily feasting on Jesus. Daily saying, God, I can't do this on my own without you, Lord Jesus. I need your spirit. And when we break bread, what we are saying is we're reminding ourselves of that. Every day we need him. Every day we need his blood. Every day we need his body to come and we remind ourselves of our need of him. All right? 
And so he's available, and the condition was that we need to come and eat and drink. There is a response that's required from us. In the same way, we looked at John 8, 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And I, I, I discussed with you that light is brightness, that it enables us to see things as they really are. Light is purity. It's uh, the opposite of, of obscurity. It's the opposite of ignorance. It's clarity. It's illumination. And Jesus says, He is the light of the world. So in other words, He is the light that brings clarity to all of our lives. It enables us to see things in perspective. And again, our response is that we have to let the light shine in our lives and respond to the light as it shines in our lives. And lastly, I looked at John 11, tying it in with the Easter, where he raises Lazarus from the dead, and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What I try to encourage you out of that is that not to have a small view of, of Jesus as your Savior. Mary and Martha had an incomplete view of who Jesus was. They thought he was Messiah, they knew he was a healer, but they had not yet realized he was God who could raise the dead. And so they realized in that moment that he was God when he raised the dead. He raised Lazarus, their brother. And uh, I encourage you that we need to ask God for greater revelation of the great power of Jesus, that he is, he is available for you and I today to heal us today. He could resurrect the dead today. He has the power to do it. And will we respond to him uh, with that power in mind? And secondly, I said that we under should understand the great sympathy of Jesus for all of humanity that he is praying for you. He wept not for Lazarus, his friend. He wept for all of humanity, knowing that humanity was broken and that the great enemy of death had yet to be overcome. And he wept because he knew he would be in the tomb, paying the price for all of us, and yet he would, the tomb would be opened and he would be raised on the third day. That's why he was weeping. And he has that same compassion. I try to encourage you. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. And his prayers are always answered. Always. He is at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for you and I, and his prayers are always answered. And he's praying, Lord, let them be one. He's praying, Lord, let them not fail. He's praying, Lord, let them run the race. Let them endure and persevere for the price. And that brings such confidence and assurance into our lives. And so I'd like to look at three more things, if I can, today. And I'm aware the children are in, so I'm going to try and be as short as I can. John chapter 10, if you'd like to turn there. I'm going to read a, a, a portion of it. You know this story very well. This is a, the fourth I am statement that Jesus said about himself. I am the good shepherd. And I'm going to read for you. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Just to put chapter 10 into context for you, if you, I'd encourage you to go and read these chapters over this coming week, these, cap, these chapters of John, starting in chapter 7. Because chapter 7 through chapter 9, Jesus is in the same place. He's in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. And in John chapter 7, we looked at it last week, there was a lot of confusion about who Jesus was, and uh, some didn't know who he was, 
and the, 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 the uh, Pharisees were trying to discredit Jesus. Most people were just confused. They didn't understand who Jesus was. And it's into that context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And he goes on to heal blindness of every kind. And if you look in chapter 9, there's the amazing story of a man who was blind from birth. And so the Pharisees, uh, the disciples, in fact, ask Jesus, they say, Jesus, whose sin is it? Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin that he is blind? Remember, I told you a couple of weeks ago that the Pharisees' Jewish tradition taught that actually if you were sick, it was because of some sin in you. Some, some, you had committed some sin. And so you, there, was a, there was a sickness that was part of your life. And so Jesus completely obliterates that whole theology when he says, your sins are forgiven. And he says, be healed. He puts the two together. He's trying to get them to see that sickness has nothing to do necessarily with sin. They're not being punished. And so this is why he says in chapter 9 to the, this blind man, he heals him. And the Pharisees are so hard of heart that they throw the man out of the tabernacle, out of the synagogue. They throw him out of the synagogue because he professes faith in Jesus. He actually says to them, he says, I don't even know who this man is. All I know is that I once was blind and I now see. And he says, thank you, God, that you've touched me. And the Pharisees are so hard of heart. They say, we are the sons of Moses. We tell you what you should believe. And they throw him out of the synagogue. You go and read it. They are incredibly cruel. And yet this man, is, Jesus goes and find it, finds the, the blind man and welcomes him and takes him forward. And we're going to look a little bit at that. So when Jesus is talking in chapter 10 with this illustration here about the good shepherd, the people that he really is thinking about are the Pharisees. He's making the simple pastoral comparison between true shepherds and false shepherds. And he's really thinking about the Pharisees. At the end of chapter 9, if you read it, the Pharisees are offended with Jesus, and they say to him, are we also blind? He's debating this thing about healing the blind man. And the Pharisees say, are we also blind then? And Jesus says to them, Jesus wasn't subtle. (laughs) He just says to the Pharisees, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. He's very straight with them. What he's trying to say to the Pharisees, he's trying to say this. If you acknowledged your own blindness, if you acknowledged that you didn't have all the answers, just as the blind man acknowledged his need of me as Savior, that would lead you to forgiveness, that would lead to your sin being washed away, and that your sin was not counted against you. That's what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees. The problem with the religious leaders, with the Pharisees, they thought they were fine. They thought they were okay. They thought they understood everything. They thought they didn't need a Savior. They had the law. They had Moses. They said they didn't, they didn't need a Savior. They thought they saw the things of God clearly. And because they couldn't see their need for Jesus as their Savior, there was no forgiveness extended toward them for forgiveness of the sin, of their own sin. And this is the point for all of us. This is the point for you and the point for me. If you claim that you can see perfectly yourself without needing the light of Jesus in your, in your life, without needing the light of the world, you, in fact, are the judge of your own life, and you remain in spiritual darkness. That's what Jesus is trying to say. If you think you can do this on your own, without me, you remain in darkness and the light is not in you. But Jesus 
extends and helps the humble believer in the midst of all our weakness. I love that song that we smoked that we uh, smoked this morning. What is wrong with me? That we sung this morning. The song that we sung this morning. In, in, in the midst of all our weakness, Jesus extends His grace to us. And you see, you have to admit that you're blind. You have to admit that you don't have all the answers. You have to admit that you need the light. And when you admit that you need the light, the light shines and shows you the way. And so this picture of the shepherds taken from the life of the shepherds is a further illustration of what Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees. And here's the illustration. If you were a shepherd in ancient Israel, in the countryside, there would have been an enclosure, all right, in which the sheep were kept, and at night it would contain the sheep of many shepherds, the same enclosure. And there would be a gate, and there would be a gatekeeper to guard the entrance to keep thieves and robbers outside of this enclosure. And in the morning, the shepherds would come, and they would call for their sheep. They would call for their sheep, and they would have a name for every one of their sheep. And there would be many shepherds calling for their own sheep. And the sheep knew the voice of their shepherd because their shepherd was calling them by name. And as they called, the shepherd called his own sheep, his own sheep would leave the enclosure and they would walk away following their shepherd. And it's a very simple illustration that Jesus is making. This point, that this enclosure is the people of God, the, the people of Israel, and Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to the nation of Israel and calls them to come to him. And so you have a couple of really simple, simple points I'd like to give to you this morning. One, the true shepherd uses the gate. The true shepherd uses the gate. John ten eleven. Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door or by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the gatekeeper opens. This is Jesus still speaking about the Pharisees. He's still speaking about the Pharisees, those that lead the synagogue. They've just thrown a man out of the synagogue for professing faith in, the, in Jesus, who, who had just uh, restored his sight. Jesus is saying those kind of people are not true shepherds. That's what he's saying. They're not the true shepherds. All they are interested in is uh, their own opinion, their own influence, and they are not, they're robbing the true people of God from spiritual blessings. That's what he's saying. They're, they are false shepherds, people that respond like that. They are thieves and robbers. And he says, I am the true shepherd. Well, what is the difference between false shepherds and true shepherds? Jesus is saying here that the true shepherd uses the gate. The true shepherd uses the door. What is the point that he's trying to make? He's trying to say something. He's using an illustration to say this. Surely he means by this phrase, using the gate, it is acting in a way that is according to the will of God. It's according to the way of God. When you use the gate, that's what he's trying to say. So what he's trying to say is the true, true shepherd is simple, straightforward. He comes to the gate, he opens it. The thief cannot do that because the thief is climbing over the wall. And he says the Pharisees have climbed over the wall. They're not doing things God's way. They are ignorant of the ways of God. They do not have the heart of God. They don't have a call from God. All they are interested in is their own prestige, their own wealth, that they would be the big cheeses in the synagogue. They don't care anything for the people. 
When the demonstration that they don't care anything for the people is that a man who's healed in the synagogue from blindness by Jesus, they throw him out. And so Jesus says they're not true shepherds. They haven't come. They're not using the ways of God. They're not going through the gate of God's way, God's will. And he makes that illustration. Second thing, very simple. The true shepherd knows the sheep and they know him. Jesus is saying there's an authority to have access to the sheep. And he is saying, I am the true shepherd. I have authority to access the sheep. And false shepherds do not have authority to access the sheep. Anyone else outside is a thief and a robber. And the key is, he says, the flock, the sheep, they recognize the voice of the true shepherd. His voice gives them attention, and his voice knows every detail of their own lives. And so for you and I, Jesus is the true shepherd for all of us. There are many false shepherds. There are many who claim to have special authority. There are many who claim to have special wisdom. Jesus says he's the only true shepherd. That's why we feast on him. That's why we look to him. That's why we feast on his cross, because he's the true shepherd. And thirdly, Jesus produces change in the lives of those that follow him. That's what he says. Jesus produces change in the lives of his people. The good shepherd is the only one, what does it say? It says he leads the sheep out into find good pasture. He leads the sheep out. He leads his people out of what is spiritual deadness. Those that truly know him, he leads them out of deadness, out of tradition, out of religion, and he leads them into life. He leads them into good pasture. He leads them to a place where they can find sustenance for their lives. He's the good shepherd. And like I said already, this blind man had been thrown out of the synagogue simply because of his faith in Jesus. And Jesus welcomes him and brings him into spiritual life, brings him into a whole new place. And Jesus is walking ahead of you and I. The sheep follow because they know and trust Jesus. I'm asking you this morning, you know and trust Jesus. Do you know his voice? He walks ahead of you. Are are you listening for his voice on a daily basis? Saying, God, what do you have for me? Holy Spirit, what do you have for me? Jesus is the only one who can lead you out of cold, dead religion into life. Are you listening for his voice? Are you listening for his voice? The perfect picture of what Jesus is trying to do in your your life and my life. Remember, we've been saying this over and over again. Jesus wants us to walk by the Spirit. He wants us to learn to hear His voice. How do we learn to hear His voice? By learning His Word, by being open to His Holy Spirit, by being soft in our hearts when He corrects us. I want to encourage you. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. To follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd always leads you to good pasture. Okay. So there's a second illustration that Jesus uses in this passage. And it's a similar illustration, but some of the details are different. And it's also an illustration out of the life of shepherds, okay? The second thing Jesus says, he says, I am the door. I am the door. The reason why he has to say this again is because the Pharisees' hearts are so hard that they cannot understand what Jesus is trying to say. And now we have to imagine it's a different kind of sheepfold as to the one that I've just illustrated to you. Here, there's one sheepfold. It's made of a big circle of rocks. But the difference is this. 
that the sheep in this sheepfold all belong to the same shepherd. They're all part of the same flock. And there's an opening for the sheep to come in and out of, but the gate is the shepherd himself. The shepherd lies over the opening, and he is the door. He is the gate. And no one can get in and out to get to his sheep except through the shepherd. And that's what Jesus is saying again as he illustrates further. He's he's saying, not only am I the good shepherd, I am also the doorway. I am myself the gate for the sheep. All right? And again, some very simple things that I'd like to say out of this portion. Truly, verse 13, Truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and and find good pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I lay down my life for the sheep. That's a further illustration. He's trying to refine what he's trying to illustrate to these Pharisees. And the first thing I'd like to say... It's a very simple thing. Jesus is the only way to God. That's what he says, quite plainly. Jesus is the only way to God. No one comes to the Father except through him. No one enters and becomes a child of God and enters into the family of God except going through the gate, except going through the doorway of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. And he's saying, everyone who came before me were thieves and robbers. They're not the true shepherd. He's not, again, he's not thinking of people like John the Baptist or Elijah or the great people of the Old Testament. He's thinking of those that claim to be Messiah. There have been many who claimed to be Messiah in Palestine. There were many soldiers that over the, over the ages had risen up and tried to save Israel. And, and uh, they, they were great pretenders. They were false messiahs. They hadn't really cared for God's people as a shepherd. And that's what Jesus is saying. And he's also saying this, that in the long run, the true people of God, they're not fooled. They're not deceived. They might listen for a while to these messiahs, but they get to understand that something inside of them says, no, this is not the real thing. This is not Jesus. And they know, so know Jesus' voice well that they're able to, def- to, for themselves to understand the true Jesus. And I want to encourage you, one of our... Well, one of my missions as a preacher of the Word of God is to get you to understand the gospel so well that when you hear a false gospel being preached, you will taste it. You'll say, that is not the true gospel. There are many false gospels. You go onto the internet, you can have a gospel to suit whatever you want. I want you to understand, and I know everyone who preaches in this this church, once you understand the true gospel, that you can taste it. You know, nah, this is something not right about this. This guy's preaching money. This guy's preaching prosperity. This guy's preaching uh, self-help. This guy's, no, he's not preaching the gospel. Are you with me? And Jesus says his, his people will so know his voice, they will not get deceived by false gospels. And I, I already said to you that he leads us out into good pastures. The first thing, Jesus is the only way to God. Secondly, False teachers do damage to God's people. But Jesus brings life. Yeah? False teachers do damage to God's people, but Jesus brings life. He says, 
by using these words like thief and robber, false messiah. He says those kind of people only come to rob, kill, and destroy. There are many that claim to have special revelation, who claim to have some kind of revelation that nobody else has. Jesus says those kind of people are generally only trying to increase, increase their own influence, trying to gain wealth for themselves, and in the long run, they damage people who trust them. But Jesus is different. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life, abundant life. And so I want to say to you, as my friends, that the main blessing that Jesus brings to your life is not wealth, it's not even healing, or those are good things. It's forgiveness of sin. And because there's forgiveness of sin, you have energy, spiritual energy. You have spiritual vitality. There's power in your life. There's liveliness in your life. There's an energy that comes. You are set free from the inside, and you are alive because of Jesus. That's what He gives us primarily. He gives us life and energy. And He says, I don't even give you life and energy just when you are saved. It's when there's an abundant life. In other words, when you start walking to Jesus, there's more energy, there's more life, there's more revelation, there's more of everything as you walk with Him. I give you life when you're saved, absolutely, but I give you abundant life. And as you continue to walk, by, walk with me by the power of the Holy Spirit, you get more life, more life, more life, more life, ever-increasing life. And we no longer thirst, we no longer hunger, and we start to shine in a crooked generation as we follow Him. And lastly, Jesus' ministry cost Him His whole life. I lay down my life for the sheep. It cost Him everything to buy us an eternal life. And we are simply, we're only acceptable to Jesus because of the cross, acceptable to God because of the cross. There has to be a penalty for sin. There has to be judgment for sin, and Jesus takes all upon that, uh, all of that upon himself, and he pays the price, fully paid for us. And there's an interesting subtext here, if you like. He's also saying this. He's saying that any kind of church leader that only works for a salary is not like Jesus at all. He's speaking to people like me. He's saying, if you only do this job, if you only do this calling, if you, only, if you only do this for a salary, you are completely unlike me in every way. That's what he's saying. He's saying a good shepherd, a good leader, lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't it interesting? I've, said that, I've, I've heard this over the years, that we mustn't own people as leaders. Well, Jesus doesn't say that. He says, a good shepherd owns the people. What is he trying to say? He so loves them. They are his own. He feels their pain. A good shepherd owns them in his heart. And he so owns them that he's concerned if a thief tries to come over the gates. He's concerned. He, he wants to say no. He wants to do everything that he can to guard God's people. It's not owning in the sense of, of these are my people, but it is in a sense it's God. These are your people, and I, I own them in my heart with love. Yes, that's a good shepherd. And so he's saying the Pharisees were not good shepherds. They were religious people who cared nothing for the sheep. They were cruel. And if you have a look at how they spoke to the parents of the blind man in John chapter 9, go and read it for yourself this week. It's incredibly cruel. 
They spoke with no compassion, no love, and they just threw the man out of the synagogue. Jesus is completely different. He lays down his life for the sheep. If you and I are going to be shepherds for each other, if we're going to help to pastor God's people, we have to be those that own people in our heart, that so love them deeply that we're prepared to lay down our own rights, our own everything for the sake of others, just as Jesus did. He's the good shepherd. He lays down his life for the sheep. Last point this morning. Please go to John, John 15. The kids are okay? Everyone's quiet, so I'm presuming I can just do another five minutes. Is that all right? John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Isn't it interesting? Talks, you didn't know I was going to preach on this, and you prayed this in the prayer meeting. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean, already you are clean, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The third little uh, I am statement is this one. I am the true vine. And this is the final way that Jesus is using to help us to see that we need to be totally dependent on him. That there's no way to live except being dependent on him. The first point I'd like to make out of this is very simple again. I hope you can remember this message. We draw our energy from Christ as Christians. First point. Just as he is the vine. He is the true vine. Our sustenance, our energy, our life comes from the vine. It comes from Jesus. It comes as we are grafted into Him. That's how we maintain our energy. That's how we maintain our passion. That's how we maintain our focus over a lifetime, is that we are grafted into the one true vine who is Jesus. And we stay alive, not because of our own cleverness, our own energy. We stay alive because we are granted into Him. All true energy, all true life, all true purpose comes from Jesus. Only He is truly reliable. That's the first thing I want to say to you out of this passage. He is the true vine we are grafted in as branches. Secondly, God is the gardener. God is the gardener. He is the one that oversees the garden. He is uh, the one that oversees the vine and the branches. He looks after them. Like a gardener, he planted the vine. He sent Jesus. So God planted the vine in the first place. He sent his son. He watches over the vine. He watches over his son. He watches over everything that he wanted his son to do. And God is determined that the fullness of, of, of Jesus' mission will be fulfilled. He watches over all that the Son came to do, and He watches over us, His people. He, God is watching over you as the gardener. He's watching over the branch of your life, and He's determined that that branch would bear fruit. All right? And the Father's plan is that all of His people will be fruitful. Thirdly, our energy comes from Jesus. God, the Father, is the gardener. Thirdly, dead branches get removed. Now, I want to just spend a little moment on this, because I don't believe this is saying that we can lose our salvation. 
Why do I say that? Because it's not the context of what Jesus has been saying. He's been talking largely about Pharisees. And if you, continue, if you read John's Gospel in chapter 13, 17, and 18, he's talking about one person in particular. He talks about Judas. He talks a lot about Judas. John talks about Judas a lot. So we must remember, John is talking about false disciples who claim to believe, but, have no, but whose faith is doubtful. That's what he's talking about. So when Jesus uses this phrase, branches that are in me, he's referring to people like Judas, who claim to have faith, but there's no evidence of faith in their life whatsoever. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about people that are truly saved. And he's saying, those kind of people like Judas have no evidence of faith in their lives, although they claim it. Those kind of people are cut off. He says those kind of branches are cut off. And in a very short space of time, Judas went from being a disciple of Jesus to not being a disciple of Jesus. You hear what I'm trying to say? Once saved, always saved. That's what I'm saying. You don't lose your salvation. And I don't believe this portion is saying that either. A false believer will soon be, rele- be revealed sooner or later. But... For those that are in Christ, those that are grafted in, those that are, 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 are saved into the vine, they are cleansed to be more fruitful. That's what Jesus says. He works differently with believers. They are helped to produce more fruit. Vines are pruned and trained to produce a good crop. And so large parts of vines are cut away to, so that the, the, the vine can produce the best possible grapes. That's what determines the quality of the vine. And the equivalent for us is that when God cuts off something in our lives that ought not to be there, or He shapes us in different ways, He's doing that in order for us to be fruitful. That's the only reason. Because He knows the plans that He has for us, and He's determined that we will be fruitful and become more and more like His Son. And so how does fruitfulness start? He says... You have already been cleansed through the word that I've spoken to you. So we start to be fruitful as we receive God's word. As it comes to us and we are saved and we continue to be fruitful as we feast on the word of God. We feast on the word of God. We feast on the word of God. And the spirit brings revelation. We become more and more and more fruitful. And ultimately, that's how we become mature believers. We are to remain in him. That's how fruitfulness will come. It's that we persist. You and I persist in our faith day by day. Our works don't save us. There's a persistent faith that we want to hear Jesus for our lives every single day. So we get up in the morning and we say, Jesus, help me for today because I need you. That's persistent faith. You're not being saved every morning that you do that. You're simply saying, God, I need your Holy Spirit. Help me today. Help me to live this life. Persistent faith, that's what leads to godliness and fruitfulness in your and my life. And that's the kind of maturity that brings glory to God. And if Jesus ends this little parable by saying, By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and you become my disciples. Jesus is interested in making believers disciples. Yeah? You can believe and you're saved, but Jesus also wants you to be his Disciple. A disciple is someone that walks closely with the Holy Spirit. Who's saying, Jesus, on a daily basis, what are you calling to me? What do you want me to do? How can I glorify you?
today. Amen. Let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to enjoy Josh getting baptized, mate. Yeah? And who else is getting baptized? Seth is getting baptized, and Hannah's getting baptized. So do you guys want to just go and get changed? Uh, talks, will you show them when they can get changed? And we're going to rejoice together this morning as some more people get baptized, all right? More people on the journey to becoming disciples of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness, everything that we've celebrated this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you're the good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that you know the ways of God. We thank you, Lord, that you are the door for the sheep. That it's only through you that we enter God's family. It's only through you that we enter the kingdom. We thank you that you're also the true vine. It's only through us being grafted into you that we can be fruitful, that we can enjoy fruitfulness in our lives in an ever-increasing way. And so, Jesus, we come to you as, 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 uh, as your sons, and we ask that you'd continue to change us and, and you'd continue to bear fruit in our lives as we are continue to seek you and persist on a daily basis, in a daily basis, to, to say, Lord, that we need you. And we ask that you'd show us by the power of your Spirit, what needs to change and what, what you're doing, what you're cutting off, what you're adding, so that we might become more and more fruitful. And so Lord, we simply say that our trust is in you to do these things in, in our lives by the power of your Holy Spirit.